Welcome. Wherever you're at around the world, wherever you're at in, in your world, God bless you and thank you for joining with us at Life Shape Prayer and Discipleship again tonight. This is our 33rd week of our 52-week commitment. We are dedicated to continue this commitment. You know, we feel like we're on the home stretch now, getting a, getting a, 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 a great wind within us here to offer up our prayers to God each and every week together, according to 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their lands. You know, God means that. He will if we will. Believe you me, he meant it. And when we pray, he listens. Well, tonight, we're continuing with our discipleship portion of our service. And uh, tonight, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those um, messages, it's one of those topics that people most often think about when they don't go to church. One of the reasons they don't go to church is because you know, when they go to church, they imagine the preacher is either going to talk about church attendance or money. Well, tonight we're not talking about church attendance, okay? <laughs> tonight we're talking about giving, uh, and uh, we're specifically talking tonight about tithes and offerings in our New Creation Responsibilities module, Life Shape, uh, Module 3, Block 7, Tithes and Offerings. Now, uh, our Life Shape discipleship is set up so that in 52 weeks, we can survey what the Bible has to say about every major doctrine and every major discipline of the Christian. From redemption, from you know, there being one God, all the way to the millennial reign and what we can look forward to you know, after uh, the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to cover all of those things, and we're right here in week number 33. We started off with, you know, there being one God, and we did creation, and then the creation of man, and how sin entered into the garden, and how then, uh, you know, all the way through uh, the water baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then we began with our new creation realities of faith and righteousness and all the things that we get you know, healing, all the things that we get when we get born again. And now module three is uh, not just what we get, but now it's about what we give. And we are in block number seven of our new creation responsibilities. What does God expect from us? We know what we can expect from God. We spent, you know, 30 weeks finding out. But now we're talking about in these weeks what God can expect from us. What is our responsibility to God? for this kingdom we have been given. And tonight, we have come to the subject of tithes and offerings. And so our key scripture for tonight is found in Psalms 24. Psalms 24 in verse one says, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Basically, this reaffirms one of our initial uh, um, conversations, one of our initial topics, that everything belongs to God. God created everything from things that we do not now see. He created everything, visible and in invisible, seen and unseen, and he owns everything. And this says, the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness, its fullness. Everything in the earth belongs to the Lord. Not only that, but all the people as well. I heard one man say that, that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills and he also owns 
owns all the taters under them hills. You know, he also owns, you know, all the hills. And then anybody that's ever planted a potato belongs to him as well. You know, God owns everything. Throughout history, whether, you're, whether you know, here in the United States or, or whatever country you may be in, country after country after country, generation after generation, you know, culture after culture, and all the past generations, all the way back to Adam and Eve, uh, uh, there has been a system uh, in place. God put this system in place. I'm gonna call this system, what I call it is sharecropping. Do you know what sharecropping is? If you don't, maybe, uh, maybe we'll learn a little bit tonight, okay? Uh, I call this system sharecropping. It's a God system that's been in every generation from Adam and Eve until today, and uh, every culture and custom and society has seen some form of sharecropping. You may know it by some other names in your country, but the concepts are the same. Basically, sharecropping is when an owner provides the land, the seeds, and the fertilizer, and makes water available, and, and a person who does not own it, a worker, provides the labor to plant, to cultivate, and to make a crop. One person provides the land, the seed, the fertilizer, and the water availability. Another person provides all the labor in order to plant, cultivate, and make that crop. And when harvest time comes, they share in the harvest. The worker harvests the work, and then the, the landowner receives a share from the person who planted and cultivated because the landowner owns the land. The landowner provided the seed. The landowner provided the opportunity. The worker provided the sweat and the energy, and so they both share. Uh, and they share this fair share of the increase as they have agreed. Well, in this system, both the owner and the worker are partners. They're partners, and both of them benefit from a job well done, and both of them uh, take a hit when the job is not well done. And the greater the harvest, the greater for the blessing for both of them, okay? That's basically sharecropping. We, we've seen that in our nation, many other nations. Well, you know, variations of this system have been in place since the world began. Uh, you know, I can remember my mother, uh, she used to uh, shell peas, she used to can vegetables, and she used to make jellies and jams and preserves, and many of the times she did it on what we called on halves, you know what that means? That means that somebody would bring peas to our house and she would shell the peas and they'd get half the shell peas and she'd get half the shell peas. That's the way it works. It happens in a lot of countries. I have a friend in another country who owns a cow. He's owned, he's, he's owned not this particular cow, but he's owned a different cow. But he's been owning cows, uh, one cow, for about 20 years. And I know the man who works for him that takes care of that cow all day long, every day, day and night. The man has either four or five children now. I've known him for more than 20 years. And this man takes care of that one cow all day long, every day, leads them around the city and the village, finding food and finding water. And the man gets half of the milk every day. That's what he gets for his pay. And that's all he makes, by the way, in his economy. And the owner of the cow gets half the milk each day. Uh, you know, variations of this system. In fact, up until just a few years ago, Brent and I owned a, a, a farm that was a part on the register of federal wheat farms. Now, the government did not want us to grow wheat because wheat is in abundance. And so instead of us growing wheat, we had an agreement with the government that we could grow another cash crop. And the cash crop that we decided to grow was hay. And so each year, as we would grow up until about five, four or five years ago, five, six years ago, Brenda and I grew hay, and at, at, at the season of cutting the hay, uh, uh, we would 
in, instead of hiring somebody and paying them money to do so, we would do it on a percentage. You know, uh, it started out that we would get two bells and they would get one and they did the work. And then it grew through the years to where they would get one and we got one. And then it grew through the years where they'd get two and we'd get one. You know, labor went up and, and the cost of production did as well. But, uh, you know, uh, that, that's, uh, that's uh, working basically uh, as we partnered with people to bale our hay for a percentage share of the harvest, whether whatever percentage is agreed to. Um, uh, what I have called sharecropping and what I grew up as understanding, you know, working on halves or, or uh, working for a percentage of the harvest, you know, the Bible at times calls stewardship, okay? That means taking care of what belongs to somebody else and you get some of it. That makes sense? That's what the Bible calls basic stewardship. We see this principle in the very first pages of the Bible. The very first concept that God introduced to us was this concept of taking care of something that belonged to someone else. In fact, let's read from Genesis in the second chapter. The Bible says, uh, beginning in verse, uh, we'll, we'll read part of verse 8 and part of verse 15. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. You see, God owned the garden, God planted the garden, and God put the man in the garden to take care of it, expecting that the man would partake of its fruit. But God also, he did not give the man ownership of the garden, he just lent the garden to him. You know, we have an earth lease on this place, and one day God will require it back from us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus teaching this same truth in a parable. You may remember there was a parable about a landowner, the Bible says, who, who bought a vineyard and he planted a vineyard. He bought a piece of land. He planted a vineyard. He dug a, 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 a ditch. He, he, he put a hedge about it to protect it. And then he also, the Bible says, he built a tower. He provided the tools. And then he leased it out to what the New Testament calls husbandmen or stewards, or sharecroppers, okay? He leased it out to other people, and then the man who owned it went into a far country, Jesus said. That's a picture of what Jesus and God did. They created this world. They lent it out or leased it out or let it out to us for us to make something of it, for us to make increase of it. In fact, uh, uh, um, Adam and Eve, that's the first five commandments. You know, uh, 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 be fruitful, multiply, you know, replenish the earth, you know, subdue it and have dominion. You know, uh, God was talking about increase. He was talking about make something out of what I've given you. Well, Jesus told that same parable. And he said this, this landowner planted this vineyard and lent it out to husbandmen, went to a far country. And then the Bible says, Jesus telling this parable, that in the season of the harvest, the landowner returned or sent someone back. The landowner wanted his share of the increase. But the people who had been working the land did not feel like the landowner had anything. They felt like it all belonged to them because they had worked for it. You know, they didn't see the landowner out there sweating. And so they felt like the landowner shouldn't get anything. And so they turned the landowner away. And ultimately, if you read the parable, you'll find out that Jesus was very upset with and the landowner very upset with the attitude of people who would feel as though that what they've made, they've made on their own without anybody else's help. 
that the blessings they have or the fruit that they have, that they have gathered is somehow to their credit and not to the credit of God, not to the credit of the landowner who made all of this possible and who blessed us with tools and abilities and gifts and time and all this stuff so that we could make an increase, so that we could make a harvest. And so Jesus was talking about them. You know, he didn't have very good things to say about them. And he spoke about their greed and their ungodly attitude. You know, attitude is everything. In fact, the first time that we see God unhappy with something outside the Garden of Eden, you know, he was unhappy with what Adam and Eve did and what the serpent did. But once we move from the garden scene, the very next chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis, the very first thing God gets unhappy with, he gets unhappy with somebody bringing him an offering because they had a bad attitude, a wrong attitude, because they didn't do it God's way. They didn't don't want to do it the way God wanted it done. You may remember Cain and Abel. The Bible says that, that Cain tilled the ground and, and, and Abel uh, uh, was a tender of the sheep. And when the time of offerings came, the time of the year of increased in harvest, you know, the, 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 the fall of the year, came, well, uh, you know, uh, Abel brought the first fruits, the first of his flock. Cain just brought some of the produce. He just brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Well, there are a lot of reasons that we can imagine, and a lot of theologians say a lot of things uh, about those two offerings. Why did God accept the, the, that, that, uh, you know, the first fruits of Cable? Of, of Abel, and he would not accept Cable, and he would not accept Cain's offering, but he did accept Abel's. Why did God respect Abel's offering and not respect Cain's offering? Well, perhaps it's because Cain did not respect his own offering. The Bible, uh, God told Cain, sin lies at your door. If you would just do what I said do and do it like I said do it. You know, uh, but Cain perhaps was not happy with doing it at all. And he just brought, uh, you know, there's no indication he brought anything special. He just brought some fruit of the ground. And here Abel brought his first fruits. He, he, he was bringing a representation of the tithes and that which was holy, bringing it to God. And Abel was just giving something that perhaps even he didn't want. You know, uh, and, and didn't want to give maybe. You know, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible says uh, in Genesis 2, Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, but Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. You know, uh, God loves a cheerful giver, and he loves someone who willingly and obediently follows his dictates. What he believes, what God believes, is his share, not what we make. You know, many people do tithe, but some people just tip, okay? If you're going to tip God, let me encourage you to do something, okay? Tipping is now 15%, okay? Keep that in mind. I wouldn't want to give some, you know, little, uh, you know, sweet darling little, uh, 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 you know, college person more than I give God. Okay, uh, tipping is fifteen percent. Okay, uh, <laughs> Mary, at least in the states it is. You know, twenty percent, by the way, is going up. Okay, uh, someone asked me one time, didn't didn't tithing go up to fifteen percent? I said no, <laughs> no, that was tipping. Yeah. <laughs> Many Christians also wrongly imagine that tithes and offerings are a part of the Mosaic law, that they were instituted by Moses as a part of this concrete, you know, set in stone tablet of, of, of immovable, you know, law that has been fulfilled. 
You know, many people wrongly imagine that tithes and offerings uh, began as a part and a practice of the law of Moses. And therefore, since we're now in the New Testament, it's not a New Testament, a valid New Testament practice. But nothing could be farther from the truth or farther from God's desire. Do you know that Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord? Where did they learn this? They must have learned it from Adam and Eve because they were the only other people around. In the time of the harvest, they knew they were supposed to bring God something. They knew they were supposed to give to God, okay? And not only that, but Abraham also, uh, in in Genesis 14, he gave tithes to Melchizedek. He gave tithes of of all to Melchizedek. And then Jacob, in, in Genesis 28, verse 22, Jacob at Bethel, the house of God, he committed to God that he would give God 10% a tithe of everything that the Lord increased him with. Everything you increase me with, I'm going to give you tithes of all. Now, bear in mind, Jacob, and you know Abraham lived before Jacob, and Cain and Abel way back there before that, but bear in mind that Jacob lived 400 years before Moses was born. Okay? 400 years. So tithing was not a part of the law. Tithing was so strong, it was a part of the Abrahamic covenant. It was part of of Adam's responsibility, a part of the Abrahamic covenant. It was a part, you know, Jacob made commitment to do this. And it was so strong and so much a part of the fabric of a relationship with God as we share crop this earth that it endured through the law and came out the other side of the law. It's a part of not only the Abrahamic covenant, the law and the prophets, but also the covenant we have with Christ. Uh, you know, uh, the Old Testament does contain the law. It is a historical record, but the Old Testament contains so much more than just the law. And uh, it, it's important to realize that, that Jesus was not shy when he talked about money. You know, Jesus said more about money than he said about heaven and hell combined. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's more said about money and more said about possessions and increase and what we should do with it than there is about heaven and hell combined. Jesus as well Do you know Jesus not only paid his taxes, by the way, okay? Jesus paid his taxes. He participated, and Jesus also gave offerings. You know, it was very important. In fact, Jesus even had a treasure that that was supposed to do nothing more than go around uh, helping the poor and giving offerings. And so uh, Jesus understood firsthand what the psalmist David and what the prophet Malachi had written. Uh, uh, The psalmist David said this, Honor the Lord... Uh, excuse me, this was Solomon writing. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Both David, the psalmist, and saying the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and his son Solomon understanding that we should honor the Lord with our first fruits, with, with, our, with our substance, with our increase, with the first fruits of everything that God gives us because we're sharecroppers, again, because everything belongs to the Lord. And if we'll do this, there is a blessing attached to it. Jesus also understood what Malachi had said 400 years before the birth of Christ. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. 
all the tithes into the storehouse. He said that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. This is the only thing I'm aware of uh, that, that God just really wants you to put him to the test on. Try me, he said. Test me in this, okay? Try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you a window of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your, fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. He didn't say your vine failed to bear fruit. He said the vine failed to bear fruit for you. Basically, it's God's vine, but it'll bear for you if you'll partner with God, if you will get into this financial relationship with him and get covered by this covenant. Now, the word tithe literally means one-tenth. That's what it means. Uh, it, it doesn't mean anything special. It just means one-tenth as a percentage. God is a percentage God. You know, uh, he is throughout the word of God. You, you can see he, he tithes uh, many times our giving to our increase or to uh, as God has prospered us, 1 Corinthians 16, 1, for example. Okay? Uh, God has established this 10% as his share. It's holy to God. It's his. It's his whether we give it to him or not. It's his whether, whether, we, you know, uh, whether those people who own the vineyard gave it to the landowner or not. It's his, okay? It's holy. He decides it's his, and you're not going to get to enjoy it, okay? He will, he, uh, there's just no way. I mean, it, it, it's holy. It belongs to the Lord. You can't take something that's holy and, 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 and do unholy things, but it just doesn't work. It ends up not being a blessing. You know, 90% blessed by God goes so much farther than, than 100% uh, not blessed by God, okay? And uh, that's... Uh, he just considers this, this his share. And the believer is admonished from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, under the Abrahamic covenant, under the Mosaic law, under the covenant we have with Christ. Uh, the, the believer is encouraged to bring the first tenth of all of their increase to the Lord because it is his holy share. That's what he has determined as the landowner, okay? as the owner of everything. And then we are also encouraged to give offerings out of the rest of it beyond our tithes. We are encouraged to give offerings so that they together can provide uh, not only for the storehouse of God, but also for needs through the church of the living God, through his storehouse. Um, and, and the first church was a great example of this. We've read about it. We've read about it in the last few weeks, in fact, from Acts chapter 2, what the church did and how they operated and how many needs they met and how many needs we meet throughout the world because of this very same system that God has put in place. And uh, this brings us tonight to our important points. My, how time flies. Uh, and I want to encourage you if you are teaching this. I know many of you are listening to this because you have a group you're going to be teaching this to this coming week. And remember these important points. Teach what we are teaching from the perspective of the important points. Because, uh, you know, we're, we are doing our best. I'm doing my best in these 25 minutes to get the important points across in a message that is translatable in different languages and cultures and customs. Uh, it's important for every believer in the world to understand the responsibility of giving, the responsibility of participating in tithes and offerings. Okay, So here are our important points. Number one, tithing is a responsibility while offerings are an opportunity. There are two different uh, uh, branches here. Tithing is a responsibility. It's holy. It, it, that belongs to God. Offerings are an opportunity, okay? A responsibility, an opportunity. 
Important point number two, we tithe because we are sharecroppers, if you will, and the first tenth of the increase belongs to God. It's his share. He determined that. Uh, if we ever have time, I will go into it and show you the whole progression from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through what God did and how God ended up with a 10% as his holy share. He used to take 100%, okay? Uh, uh, he's in, at one point, but he decided 10%, he'll let us deal with the rest of it. Uh, we tithe because it's God's share, okay? We're sharecroppers. Uh, important point number three. Uh, now, we tithe because it's a responsibility and because it belongs to God. We have, give offerings because they're opportunities, okay? And we give offerings to, number one, sow a seed. Sometimes, you know, offerings are our opportunity to sow a seed because, you know, there's something we're believing God for. There, you know, we need some increase, and so we sow a seed. That's valid. It is valid to sow for increase. You know, that, that is a principle of God. In fact, Proverbs, the 11th chapter says that, that, uh, that, you know, there is he that scattereth and, 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 and yet increases. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 verse 25, the liberal soul shall be made fat and he that waters shall be watered also himself. Okay. There is a sowing of a seed. There's a doing for someone, something that you would later like to be done for you. That's valid. Luke 6, 38 says, give and it'll be given to you. You know, sowing a seed. You give and it'll be given to you. Good measures, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Uh, will men give into your bosoms? And with the same measure that you give, it'll be given back to you. That means if you plant three, uh, you'll, you'll get, you know, half as much as if you plant six. That's the way it works. He says in the same measure, you know, if you give thimblefuls, you, 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 you get back thimblefuls. If you give cupfuls, you get back cupfuls. If you give trainloadfuls, you get back trainloadfuls. The liberal soul shall be made fat. Okay? Uh, sometimes we sow a seed. That's what 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter said about sowing seeds. You know, God gives not only bread to the eater, but seed to the sower as well. Uh, we give offerings, number one, to sow a seed. Number two, to meet a need. Sometimes we give an offering, not because we're looking for getting something back. It's because somebody needs something. Sometimes we sow a seed. We give offerings uh, sometimes we give an offering to sow a seed and sometimes we give an offering just because somebody else has a need and it has no thought that we're going to get something back. We're doing it to help someone else. That is a valid opportunity. In 1 John 3 and verse 17, the Bible says that if a man sees his brother in need and has uh, this world's goods so that he could meet that need and he's not moved with compassion to take out of what he has and help his brother, then how does the love of God dwell in a person like that? You know, sometimes we're just meeting needs, okay? That's what 1 Corinthians 16 tells us about. The apostle Paul encouraged the church to lay aside uh, because there's a need. The church at Jerusalem has a need and the churches at Corinth, he encouraged them to take up an offering for that need. It was just to meet a need, whether we're drilling water wells, whether I tell you that someone's hungry or hurting or someone you know, needs some help. When I tell you about a need, sometimes it's your opportunity to give an offering. Okay? Sometimes you give it because you need. Sometimes you give it because someone else needs. Sow a seed, meet a need, or follow the lead. Sometimes we just have the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're just following the lead. You know, that's what Jesus tried to get the young rich ruler to do. You know, Matthew, the 19th chapter, Jesus tried to get the young rich ruler. He said, listen, here's what you do. 
Okay, here's what I want you to do. You sell what you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me, take it across, and I'll give you a lot of treasure and everything, but this, you need to do this. Sometimes it's just the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and we don't even know what the need is, and we're not trying to get anything back. We just believe that God wants us to give. God, we, we, we just hear the voice of Jesus saying give, and, and that's what 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 says in verse 8, you know, that, that God is able to make all grace abound toward us so that we, with all sufficiency, having everything we need, still might be furnished in abundance so that we can help other people by us doing good works with our money, by meeting needs and following the lead of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, so that's our offerings, okay? And I leave you with, uh, with our fourth important point tonight. It's a scripture. Second uh, Corinthians 8, verse 7. This is what the New Living Translation says. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. The Apostle Paul's admonition, and I'll admonish you, excel in whatever else you excel in, excel in the grace of giving. God bless you.